So again, Matthew 13, 31 through 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them then another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a space to meet and to worship and the ability to do that freely, Lord. Um, We pray that you would use the words that you've given Kevin over the course of this week as he's been preparing to speak into our hearts, that you would soften our hearts to hear those things, Um, encourage Kevin, uh, use him to just glorify you and to help us see ways that we can uh, increase your kingdom. We need you, we love you, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, imagine this with me. It's, it's the 1950s, it's in China, and missionaries have just been run out of the country there. Followers of Jesus have just gone underground, and you're on a trip over there. And somehow you connect with some believers there, they invite you to a gathering, and you find yourself huddled and cramped with 40 or so others in the dark, quietly singing songs, hearing God's word read and explained in whispers and by candlelight. Now, you might have been encouraged by their commitment there, but you also likely would have thought, hey, this situation is not good at all. Satan is clearly winning here. The light of Christ's church seems to slowly be extinguished here, but you would have been really wrong, right? Actually, the Lord was just getting started there. Beginning in in small, humble ways, the Lord subtly, secretly brought about a revival there, a work of God that has left China with over, now over 100 million followers of Christ, now truly one of the largest Christian countries in the world. In 2018, China came at the church there, striking back, attempting to pull believers back into conformity with communist beliefs. Stealing Bibles, closing, dividing churches, tearing down, even burning crosses. These have all been tactics to slow down the growth of the church there. And some polls that have been taken since then have seemed to show that it's worked, but it's doubtly truly the case. People on the ground say that most believers don't self-report to the state and will not admit to pollsters about their beliefs in Christ. So the statistics that show decline are likely highly skewed. Maybe this is a setback with a comeback around the corner, but more likely God is still in small, subtle ways expanding his church and transforming that land even amidst persecution. As Rebecca McLaughlin states in her book, Confronting Christianity, China could be a majority Christian country by 2050. Can you imagine that? Karis, God's ways are not our ways, and things are not always as they seem, right? Well, we've been walking through the book of Matthew here in Karis. We find ourselves now in chapter 13, this long block of parables. What are parables? They're stories, they're word pictures, that point to a truth. Parables, put most simply, make a comparison. 
something known, something relatable, is or is like something else. And most of the time, as we see here in this passage, what is being explained is the kingdom, the kingdom of God, or usually in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven, by these common, ordinary things. And here today, we see the kingdom is like, first, a mustard seed, and second, leaven. And both of those statements would have been shocking and surprising to those original hearers. Why is that? Well, we have to think about their expectations for this kingdom. The disciples, the crowds, the Pharisees, those, those three audiences that we see here in Matthew, they all would have been caught off guard by these images because how they thought about the kingdom of God would just not have fit with those images at all. I've always loved Graham Goldsworthy's definition of the kingdom. I've shared it here many times. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. But recently I've been reading this book by this friend of mine from seminary named Ryan Lister, and he says we need to add something else to that definition. We need to add God's presence. The kingdom of God, God's people in God's place under God's rule for God's presence. Now, now Christ's hearers back then, they waited for a kingdom. They saw themselves, of course, as God's people. They thought they were there in the Holy Land in God's place. They wanted to be ruled by him again. They, they wanted to be in his presence again, or, or at least they thought that. They longed for his kingdom, but one that would come into the world with shock and awe visibly immediately. That's what they wanted. That's what they expected. Jesus comes on the scene. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's the presence of God. He makes it clear that he's the king, that everyone should submit their lives to him. Christ comes proclaiming the kingdom of heaven has come. He walks on earth. He's gathering a people. He's preparing a place for them to dwell. But this just doesn't fit with the people's expectations. That's because they thought the Roman emperor would be knocked off of his throne. The Messiah would then ascend to his rightful seat. Israel would from that point reign forever and ever. That's how they thought it would go. But Jesus is here. He's doing all these miracles. He seems like the guy for sure. But then he starts talking in all these crazy cryptic ways. Mustard seed? Leaven? Seriously? It's no wonder that so many began to slowly walk away while others began to quickly plot his demise. Now, they largely knew what would happen. It was really the how that they were clueless about, the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is teaching through these parables. Some listened to him. They had ears to hear and they rejoiced. Others wouldn't listen to it at all. They got angry. And you'll remember if you were here when I introduced these parables, those are the two main responses that we have even still today. So what about us? Let's dig into them now. Today's first parable we see in verses 31 and 32, that of the mustard seed. Since these are so brief, I'll I'll read each of them again. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. 
So Jesus compares the kingdom to this tiny seed. Some skeptics will look at this and they'll say, come on, seriously, you trust this Bible? Everybody knows that there's smaller seeds than that. But if I'm joking about my wife and I say, hey, if a bear walks in here and tries to attack my kids, she'll be ready to throw down. But place her before a wee little mouse, you know, the tiniest of animals, and she's going to be on a chair really fast crying like a baby. That's true, by the way. (laughs) Nobody's going to question what I'm saying or begin to call me a liar. The mouse isn't the smallest animal. Come on, Kevin. Jesus isn't saying anything untruthful here. He's making a point. He's making a comparison that he wants us to see that the kingdom of heaven kicks off small, but it ends up really big. Right? Isn't that what Jesus is telling us here? This tiny speck of a seed would grow to become a tree and one that could reach as high as maybe 10 or 12 feet tall. So not a huge tree here. Jesus picks the mustard tree. But big enough, he says, for even birds to come and make their home. That would be the result of of what God is doing in his kingdom. Now, many have pointed out that Jesus seems to be pointing to the Old Testament here. Maybe two two different passages, maybe more. Some have said Ezekiel 17, where the Lord says this. I will, I myself will make a, take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar, and under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, every sort will will nest. And it goes on. But the Lord is going to raise up this massive, massive tree, there a cedar, this nation, this kingdom, and different kinds of birds would come, fly, and make their roost in it, And most people think that those birds represent the Gentiles, the non-Jews, all the nations of the earth, people like us, flocking into the kingdom of God. This is a picture of what God would do. Some say, maybe this is alluding to Daniel chapter four. You may remember King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who struts around in his kingdom, you know, just proud of all that his hands have, have made. And one night he has this dream And the only person that can help him, of course, is Daniel with the interpretation. The the king dreams of this big tree, as it says, one whose leaves are beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of heaven lived. So that similar imagery. And someone in the dream says, chop that down. And Daniel says to the king, yeah, that king, that kingdom is you, yeah, and you're going to fall, right? Think about, again, where Christ's hearers are. Babylon, long gone. The exile is over. They're back in their land. But another power rules, right, over the land, Rome. And Jesus might be saying to them, in part at least, my kingdom is going to take over. And it's going to be massive, more like a cedar even. All competing kingdoms will topple. That includes these these Romans. So just trust me, but it's all gonna start out like a a little speck of a seed. So what's the Lord saying in this parable? I think it's this. The kingdom begins small 
but it expands. It begins small, but expands. It may seem insignificant. The beginnings may be humble, but Jesus says, don't miss, don't dismiss the little things because that's how my kingdom works. So the people listening to the Lord here, they don't want to hear this. You know, they wanted something big. They wanted to see power. They wanted to see glory, and they wanted to see it right there and then. Doesn't that sound a lot like us, though? Aren't we impressed? Aren't we obsessed by size today with with sound and lights and special effects? But we shouldn't be fooled by appearances, church. As many of you know, my wife and I like police shows, crime shows. It's not uncommon that we're watching something where someone goes undercover, right? The, the whole idea, of course, sounds incredibly dangerous, and I'm sure it is. But sometimes the concept in the shows is, is pretty unbelievable as well. My wife is like, the guy is the police commissioner's son? Seriously? You don't think they're going to figure out who this guy is? Christ here comes talking about this undercover kingdom, Right? And the Pharisees are thinking, the God of the universe, he's going to come like that? You have got to be kidding me. But that's clearly what Jesus comes to say. I think we see that even more in the second parable. Jesus tells that of the leaven. Hear it with me again in verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So if I had a show of hands, I think I'd get a few hands raised here of those of you that took a stab at making sourdough bread over the last several years. It's kind of a craze, especially during the the pandemic days. Maybe one of the ways that, one of the reasons why many of us are trying to shed some extra weight because the sourdough was so good. Do you you know how you set aside starter for that each time? Um, That's what we're talking about here. We're not really talking about yeast. We're talking about a clump of leavened dough, a small amount that you keep, you work into the next batch, maybe you, you hand off to a friend. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. Now this is talking here about a whole lot of dough. Three measures, it says, that would have weighed over 50 pounds. That's a lot of flour. We think that it would have served as many as 150 people. So the kingdom of heaven wouldn't be insignificant. It would impact many, in fact, the entire world. But that little, little bit of starter, of leavened dough, was so critical. That that small amount would impact so much. But many have asked as they've read this, what impact are we even talking about? What's the nature of this leaven? And that's because this passage has confused people Because so often the Bible, leaven refers to things that are evil. It has a negative connotation. So like in the Passover, you know, the the Israelites would have to scour their homes and get rid of all the, the leaven representing sin. A few pages over in chapter 16, Jesus says, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus says, keep away from them because they're going to get all worked into you and those around you and it's going to be a really bad thing. But in the Bible, we always learn the meaning of words 
And a metaphor like this from the immediate context, from what surrounds it. You know, you, you may know that Jesus is called a lion in the Bible, but so is Satan, right? You know, we need to read the verses to discern what they mean. And here, Christ seems to clearly be saying that this leaven is a positive thing. Yeah, it says that the woman hid the leaven, but I don't think we need to read that there's some deception going on. It just gets worked into the dough, just a little bit again, and it gets concealed in all the flour, but it pervades, it permeates every bit of it, and it brings about great change. And that, I think, is the point of this short parable. The kingdom works subtly, but transforms. Works subtly, but transforms. Things may not be visibly evident, but that doesn't mean at all that nothing is happening. And again, that image would have been so hard for those hearers to comprehend. Today we get caught up in conspiracies frequently, right? Taylor Swift is trying to rig the election somehow through the Chiefs, you know? The NFL, for that matter, is completely rigged, apparently. They're following a script, you know? That's why the Chiefs keep winning. We get all into this. We get obsessed by these. What's really going on? You know, our minds race to that. We see something good or positive. We're like, oh yeah, but what's happening behind the scenes? Something nefarious for sure. That's where we go. But maybe it's actually something beautiful. Maybe there's this divine conspiracy going on. God bringing deep, lasting change behind the scenes. We shouldn't discount what God is doing under the surface. Maybe... There is a kingdom that is at work undercover, but it's not there to bust you, you know, to tear off the disguise and to rip out the badge and say you're under arrest. Maybe it's there to bless you and me along with the world. Jesus says the kingdom begins small but expands, and the kingdom works subtly but transforms. He wants us as we go forth in this world to maintain perspective. He wants us to exercise patience as we go. Hear what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20. He writes, the apostle does, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Power. Christ's reign does big things. It'll change our lives, it'll change the world, but not in the way the Pharisees and their followers thought. The kingdom of heaven feels upside down. It's a subversive thing, it's shocking, it's surprising. It looks like little humble things, but it ends up anything but that. The kingdom, it may not be in the foreground of the play, but it ends up pivotal in the whole story. It may not utilize the characters you would expect, but they end up being the heroes. That's the kingdom Jesus came to bring, one of great power. And if you think about it, it's far more powerful than what the Pharisees even wanted. They wanted the plot to just get easier. They just wanted to be the stars of the show. Well, I want to spend some time thinking about how this applies. First of all, what it says to our culture, and then how it speaks into our lives. I just want to talk briefly about our culture today, and none of this will surprise you. Jesus, again, teaches that the kingdom begins small but expands. 
But we just tend to assume whatever we're talking about, the bigger equals better. We gravitate toward those who are in power to the big personalities. We want instant gratification today. The parable of the mustard seed assaults those tendencies in us. The Lord likes to work through weakness. He wants to show his glory and not ours. We gravitate toward what's big. He wants us to see the power of God. He could do anything, but he likes to use what is small in the eyes of the world. Jesus again teaches that the kingdom works subtly but transforms. We tend to focus on appearances. We demand measurable results. We give our attention to the loudest, the flashiest of people and things. We want to see wins, or we move on, or somebody gets fired. The parable of the leaven hits those desires head on. We run towards what's bold, but the Lord, he works in quiet ways, in hidden ways. He does things that we can't manufacture or reproduce. He works by his spirit according to his wise plans. He wants us to understand the providence of God. In other words, that he's working out his will that's so often unseen, he wants us to see that as we walk around in his world. We've taken our cues too much from the world of business instead of asking for and relying upon a work of the Spirit. We could learn a lot if we planted more trees and baked more bread, right? Our yards would be shadier and cooler. Our tummies would be happier, if not a little bigger. But we would also remember how God works, right? Let's think together how these words speak into our lives. First, our hearts. Yeah, you committed that sin again. You feel like an idiot, as I do most days. It could be, though, that good things, surprising things are bubbling under the surface, things that you can't see. Your faith may seem really small or weak today, but he's making you into something beautiful. So practice patience. Maintain perspective and don't give up. Second, the church. Big doesn't always mean better. Growth doesn't always correspond to health. Activity doesn't always point to vitality. Don't mishear what I'm saying. Small churches can be unhealthy too. Maybe that's why they're small, but sometimes it's because they send their best people out. Sometimes they're faithful and God's taking care of the fruitful part. Sometimes we can't see that. God likes to use small things. He, he seems to work in ways that are secret. So maybe, church, we should rethink our goals and our metrics with that as well. But the church is a people far more than any machine, right? Think about the, the ragtag group of people that Jesus hung out with. No doubt the Jewish leaders were thinking this. Um, he's gonna do what with them? Really? Scholar Michael Green, um, he suggests that leaven also might be used ironically here. Listen to how he puts it. Leaven had bad press in Judaism. 
All leaven had to be scrupulously removed from the house before Passover. So the hearers would be surprised to find Jesus using leaven as an image of the kingdom. Yet on second thought, that is just what his followers must have seen to respectable Jews. Common, uneducated fishermen and farmers, carpenters and women, tax collectors, and disreputable characters. It would all seem rather distasteful. But God is like that. He takes distasteful characters and transforms them and then transforms society through them. Third, the family. So many of us are trying to finish the year married and keep our kids from getting run over by cars. And we often rest our heads on our pillows feeling like failures and jokes. But maybe we're doing exactly what we're supposed to do and the Lord is truly at work. Perhaps it's the little things that we do. The distracted prayers that we pray as we lay our kids down to sleep or those times where we know we've screwed up and we ask their little hearts for forgiveness. Maybe God's at work inside them. Maybe he's actually using us. And we just need to keep going, keep acting, keep trusting. I love these words that I read from Ralph Davis this week where he says, We only see grocery lines and diaper changes and school assignments, but through and over and behind it all, Yahweh rules. His sovereignty is hidden behind the conversations and decisions and activities and crises of our lives. He is not absent, but neither is he obvious. The Lord is at work, Karis, even in our mess, even in our homes. Fourth, our work. Our work. Do you come home feeling exhausted, feeling like you've accomplished nothing at all? Does your place of work, maybe your school, feel more dark and even more evil by the day, even while you're there trying to be faithful? We want to see results, right? We want to see them now. But it could be that God is using those little conversations. Maybe your influence is actually doing more than you think. I've enjoyed watching the TV series, The Bear. Don't endorse everything about it, but I've really enjoyed it. But it's a story about this guy named Carmen who leaves this high-end restaurant in New York to take over his family's restaurant back in Chicago after his brother's suicide. He very quickly realizes he needs some administrative help and he ropes in his sister, Natalie, to handle the business operations of the place and we find out pretty quick that her nickname is Sugar. In one of the the most famous and traumatic episodes, we find out why. I don't think this is much of a spoiler. If it is, you know, forgive me. It, um, It turns out as a kid, she added a cup of sugar and not salt into the gravy. So her mom joked that it tasted more like Hawaiian punch than brown gravy. And in that family, of course, that their lives revolved around food, she came to be known by that mistake. That was her identity of sorts. But what's interesting, if you watch the show, is that in that restaurant, in that environment, it's her kindness, it's her love that's holding that place together. Like sugar, she's sweetening everything. She's bringing that sweetness to her work. And that's something that God can use us to do as well to bring, as the scriptures say, the aroma of Christ, to be used in another of Jesus' metaphors, the salt of the earth, into our offices, 
inside our classrooms. God mixes us in. He sweetens, he seasons the sauce with us. So I would just say, keep seeking to do excellent work. Keep sowing gospel seeds. Don't give up. Keep trusting him. Fifth, our city. We're soon gonna join together with many other churches to do for Columbia. And that's a, that's a great thing. Those big kind of blast type of events can be good. A, a strong message to our city. But I would argue it's, it's more of the little things that we do that make the most impact. The brief, encouraging conversations we have, the seemingly small acts of kindness out in our community. Maybe it's as we're spread out into the various sectors of our city, like leaven worked into the dough, that Christ's kingdom comes, that his will is done in Missouri as it is in heaven. You know, with Anna at University Hospital, with Dina at Smithton Middle, with Daniel in the State Health Department, with Tom in the newsroom at KMIZ, with Becky and Carly and Liz and Bobby and Ben and Jeremy and all the other VU people over there getting worked into that dough. I think God's cooking up something real good there. (laughs) Six, our mission. As we go make disciples, we shouldn't feel pressure all the time to close the sale, right? To, To force people to pray some prayer, to try to drag people up to the baptistry, but rather to faithfully plant seeds, to ask God to change hearts. Again, practicing patience, keeping perspective. Seventh, the world. There's no doubt that over the last several years, the Lord has really purified his church. The church in America has gotten smaller, and we can even more feel outnumbered today. But as I've said many times from up here, maybe God's people living as a prophetic minority maybe heading towards China, maybe that's actually a better thing. Perhaps it provides a stage on which the Lord will do something really, really big. It's easy, again, to look around us and only see what is wrong. But maybe, again, something's bubbling under the surface. It's about ready to burst and explode. Maybe we should look around with hope at what Christ would do and not not frantically run to false sources of power to bow to other kings and kingdoms. Maybe we should help each other learn to pray again, and again, practice patience and maintain perspective together. I wanna touch on something I said at the beginning. Again, the expectations of Christ's audience, uh, was theirs really that much different from ours? Now, we know the end of the story, right? We know, like them, We know what is going to happen, but in addition, we more fully grasped than they did the when it would happen. They thought Jesus would come and set his kingdom up right then and there. They had no idea that he would come and set it up in part and then come back later to finish it all. They had no concept of this cross that would be pivotal in the story. But regardless, this side of the cross, we still struggle with the how, right? We wanna see Jesus do something big, something bold. We get impatient if things don't seem to be happening. We want him to work now, 
We want him to relieve our suffering. We want him to take out our enemies, to lift us up, to put them down. We need Christ's message here just as much. Though in small, subtle ways, Christ's kingdom is expanding and transforming. Jesus will reign fully as king, so let's trust him and not fear. This morning, we we looked at how his kingdom grows. Next week, we'll talk about just how much it's worth. But going back to the beginning, the Lord took that rough group of disciples and used them through the preaching, through the practicing of the gospel to overtake and transform the Roman Empire in something like 300 years. And that happened because they believed that the message was true and it was worth even giving up their lives. The undercover kingdom expanded and it transformed the world. I want you to think about um, our church in our humble beginnings. There's a few people here that remember those days. Awkward me in a coffee shop back in 2005 making really poor lattes, trying to invite people to this idea People coming together in my family home, you know, six or eight people at a time when my wife literally said, so we're gonna start this um, with a small group. You're really not the best with small groups. (laughs) Yeah. I remember Tony Bose, who's the um, church planner we sent down to Jefferson City, one time saying in a staff meeting in front of everybody, if God can use you, he can use anybody. (laughs) I'm like, thanks, I, I guess. We began to gather with 17 people in the Tiger Hotel. Today, we're still not a big church. We don't have a large budget. We're not impressive at all. But it's a family that God has used to plant churches and to impact the world. He has. We've trained up and sent out men and women who are now spreading the gospel, doing ministry here in America, along with on four other continents. I got this message from Daniel Glosson, who's a part of the North Carolina church plant team today, and he was just messaging me this morning, trying to encourage me, encourage me and us as he's practicing his drums, getting ready for their gathering, and telling me how God is blessing and growing their body there. We've also discipled and released believers all over our city and across the nation who serve Christ and who carry his name into their vocations from small beginnings God has expanded our influence across the the globe. In subtle ways, the Lord has been at work multiplying believers and churches for him. In surprising, even shocking ways, God has used a family of Christians here in Columbia, Missouri to do some significant gospel work. We've seen glimpses of heaven on earth. We've seen his kingdom start to come and it sounds a lot like what we see here, a mustard tree that grows and becomes a home for the nations, some leaven that permeates the world and brings about real and lasting change. As Craig Blomberg puts it, what may not look like much to the world will in fact fulfill all God's promises. Carlos, whatever the world may look like, whatever struggles we may go through, let's keep trusting our king together. Let's fight against doubt together when evidence seems to be lacking or when it seems to point to the contrary. He may start with the small, he may operate in the secret, but his is a kingdom of power and it's one that won't stop until it changes everything in its path. Let's pray.
Father, I pray that you would work in us perspective from the mustard seed and the leaven. Allows us to see the world, to see ourselves as they really are, to see how you work, to see your heart. And just give us patience in this world that wants everything now and fast. And help us, Lord, as um, I look and I see people that I've known for a while and we're all aging. That's just what we do. Um, as we do to just be patient and to have hope and also rejoice in what you've done. Um, Help us to learn as we see these images, as we um, see plants grow, as we break bread literally together, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.